So our text this morning, we're pulling text from several places this morning, so you're probably best off just to follow along with me in the bulletin as, as I read these. Um, the first one is going to be taken from Luke chapter 11. This is God's word. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And then from 1 Corinthians 3, what then is Apollos, what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Then from Colossians chapter 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And then finally from Acts chapter 1. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, as we think about your word this morning, uh, I I pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts to receive it, um, and that we would be changed by it. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me ask you, have you ever been asked to do something that you had absolutely no ability to do? Been asked to do something that you had absolutely no ability to do. You knew you couldn't do it. Maybe you had to give a presentation and the thought of standing in front of people was just terrifying to you. Maybe you were asked to play a position in baseball as a kid. You'd been asked to play second base and you had no idea how to do that. And that was like, I just cannot do that. 
Uh, maybe you had to drive your dad to the hospital when you were four, or you know something crazy like that. Like you're the only one here. You've got to do this. All right. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Uh, a few years ago, I was in a situation kind of like that. I it was I was just out of seminary, and I've been hired to work at a church in Greenville as a youth intern, kind of what Coleman's doing now. And the only thing was, there was a lag between when they could actually bring me on the payroll and when we moved the town. So there was like a two-week gap, and we kind of needed the money sooner than they were going to be able to pay me. But fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, the church was in the midst of a construction project. And the construction crew needed workers, and so they hired me to be one of the construction workers. Don't, don't laugh at that. Um, <laughs> And so there were, there were some things I was, I was able to do and some things I, I wasn't so able to do. And one of the things I wasn't really able to do was, was we were on top of a roof one day, and the roof was, had a very steep pitch, and they were adding another building on here. And so you've got this roof like this, like this, and then there was a, a concrete wall beside it that came up kind of like this, except it was at the same angle as the roof, so it extended a little higher than the roof line, if that makes sense to you. And there was a piece of metal on top of that concrete wall, and, and our job that day was to get up on that roof and pry that piece of metal off of the concrete wall. And since we started at the top of the roof line, like you couldn't pry up. You had to like lean down to get leverage and pull this way. So as you pull, you're like falling off the roof, basically. That's what it feels like. And so I messed around with that for a second, and then I looked at the guy with me. I was like, I can't do this. And he said, are you scared? And I said, yes, I'm scared. I'm only going to be working here two more weeks, and I'm not going to kill myself proving to you I'm not scared. All right? And so that was like, y'all can fire me if you want to. I'm not, I'm not doing this. Um, and, and that's what we do, though, if, if we can get away with it, right? If we can get away with it in situa- situations like that, we just say, I can't do it. It's too hard. And so I'm not going to do it. It's not comfortable to, to me. Um, last week we started talking about this idea of outreach and evangelism and practicing hospitality. Uh, and those are things that we know as God's people that, that we're supposed to be about, that we're supposed to do. But for many of us, the idea of doing those, we feel kind of like I felt trying to, to pry that metal off of that concrete along the roof line. Outreach and evangelism and sharing our faith and practicing hospitality, like real hospitality with, with, with our neighbors, those, those feel scary to us at times. They're difficult. They, they feel like they don't really fit our personalities or we've, we've tried them before. We're like, I'm just not really very good at those things. And, and so we may not verbally say to God, I'm just not going to do that. We find reasons and ways to busy ourselves with other things and so we don't do those things so so what do we do what do we do when this idea of of outreach of of reaching others for christ what do we do when that idea feels overwhelming and impossible to us well i suggest we do what the followers of jesus have always done what you see in all these texts that we read we we pray We pray. Uh, Why do we do that? Why do the first followers of Jesus need to pray? Why do we need to pray? Why all of these texts encouraging us to pray? Why is prayer so necessary to us carrying out our mission? Why in our, our church philosophy of ministry 
Do we list prayer as something that's important to us? It's, it's the last thing on our list, actually, but it's probably the most important thing. Because part of what we're saying is, we can do all of this, but if we don't pray, then, then all of this other stuff we mentioned doesn't really matter. Uh, let me read a quote to you from John Piper, which I think kind of gets at why prayer is so vital. Uh, Piper says, prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. Prayer gives us the significance of frontline forces and gives God the glory of a limitless provider. The one who gives the power gets the glory. Thus, prayer safeguards the supremacy of God in missions while linking us with endless grace for every need. Uh, y'all, there's a, there is a battle going on as, as we try to, to take and spread the gospel. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're called to be a part of that battle. You're called to be a part of spreading that gospel. We all have a part to play. But the reality is, is none of us are really up to the task. And so we have to pray. And so what I want to do this morning is give us, kind of think through that, think through five reasons that we've got to pray if we're going to carry out the task that Jesus has given to us. So so number one is this. There are barriers within me to carrying out the Great Commission. There are are barriers that just exist inside of me. And I'll start with this one. One of the the barriers a lot of us carry around with regards to this is guilt. Right? And you, you're going you're gonna to wrestle with that this morning even. Uh, we hear sermons and, and talks about evangelism. Uh, we hear these stories about people who have shared their faith. And, you know, they're, they're in the aisle at Publix and they see somebody buying peanut butter. And they say, you know, Jesus will stick to you closer than peanut butter to the roof of a dog's mouth. And, like, that, that person gets converted, right? Like those, like those kind of absurd stories. You're like, who does that? Nobody does that. I can't talk to people in the aisle at Publix. And they're not going to get saved even if I talk to them. Um, but but we, we hear, like, this call to, to share the gospel. And we hear these stories of people being successful at it. And this sort of low-grade guilt starts to to build up in our lives, and sort of a resistance to the whole idea comes along with that. Uh, there, was a, there was a man who came to his pastor one time, and, and he, was, he was feeling this uh, sense of guilt, and the pastor encouraged him a little bit and, and gave him some suggestions. He said, just go see how it goes, come back and see me in a few months. And so the guy goes out, and he comes back, and he was still racked with guilt, and they, they talked for a little bit. And finally the pastor said, you do know that Jesus won't love you any less than he does now if you never share your faith with another person. Like, you, you do understand that, right? That, that if you fail at this for the rest of your life, Jesus is not going to love you any less than he does now. And when the man heard that, it's like the gospel became real to him. Some, something clicked in him in that statement. He realized he didn't need to share his faith out of this obligation, out of a sense of obligation, or out of an attempt to try to get God to love him. And when that clicked, he went and started sharing his faith. He went and started sharing his faith. Uh, if, if you're stuck kind of in guilt mode, let's kind of get this out of the way to start with, then, then my main encouragement to you today would be simply to spend some time meditating on the gospel. 
and meditating on God's love for you in Jesus Christ. Pray that that God would give you a real sense of that love. Pray that God would give you a real sense that your sins are forgiven, that you are accepted by him. Because if, if you believe that, you'll actually have something to share. If you don't believe that, if you just do, you, you don't really have anything worth sharing. But if you really believe that your sins are forgiven, not because of anything you've done or, or in spite of what you have, you have done, if you really believe that, if that gets a hold of you, that itself will lead you to start sharing your faith. You'll actually have good news. A, a second barrier I think we carry around is fear, right, uh, within us. Fear within us. We fear that we're going to mess this up. Uh, we we fear we feel awkward and uncomfortable in in conversation. I mean, we you know we we, we fear new people. Uh, we fear not knowing what to say. We fear rocking the boat. We fear that we're going to upset people. We fear that we're going to be labeled as one of those crazy conservative Christians. And so we have to pray. Like I can't like magically take those fears away for us. And so we all have to, to pray through those. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians said, Pray that I may share the gospel fearlessly as I should. Like he, he needed them to pray that for him. And in Colossians, pray that I, may, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. And notice where Paul was when he said, Pray that I may share the gospel fearlessly. He was actually in jail when he wrote that. I'm in jail, pray that I may share the gospel fearlessly here. He, he was suffering for his faith. He was suffering for his faith. And y'all, speaking the gospel to your neighbor may not cause you to wind up in jail. It, it might one day. Uh, but it will, even if it doesn't cause you to wind up in jail, Sharing the gospel will at least bring some sort of discomfort into your life. It's going to bring discomfort into your life. Loving your neighbor and practicing hospitality, like we talked about last week, is going to cost us something. And we fear that. We fear that cost. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield, whose new book I've been reading, said this. She said her husband, she said, Kent and I budget for hospitality and it hurts. Practicing daily, ordinary Christian hospitality doubles our grocery budget and sometimes triples it. There are vacations we do not take, house projects that never get started, entertainment habits that never get an open door, new cars and gadgets that we never even bother coveting. Our children will never be Olympic-level soccer stars, wear designer clothes, or have social calendars requiring a staff of drivers. Instead, my children build forts and catch frogs in the backyard, eat popsicles in trees, and bring neighborhood kids to dinner and devotions when the bell rings. And you hear that, and that's like, I, I bet that's, that's challenging to me. That's really, really challenging to all of us to hear that. And I think one of the reasons it feels so challenging to us to hear that is that we've collectively bought into a certain American vision of what the good life really is. And we try as hard as we can to achieve that good life and to hold on to that good life. 
And what she's saying is maybe that good life is something different from what you've been chasing after all of these years. Maybe Jesus is right. Maybe you really define your life by not getting the American dream. That's not what he said. Maybe you find your life by losing your life. But it's really hard to give up my life. I fear giving up my life. Uh, when, when Emma came back from her, her spring break trip to, to Cuba, she said um, that the faith of the believers there living in, in abject poverty and everything else that's gone on in Cuba was more authentic than the faith she sees here. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. Uh, my worship of the American dream, my devotion to personal peace and affluence and comfort and security, my vision of what the good life is, is one of the biggest barriers to me practicing hospitality and being uncomfortable and sharing the gospel. And so we just, like, we have to acknowledge that and, and pray. Like, Paul, Lord, give me courage. Help me not to fear letting go of things. Uh, give me a willingness to, to be uncomfortable. For, forgive me for worshiping a lifestyle and not worshiping Jesus, give me a willingness to suffer in the sacrifice for the, for the good of the gospel. Forgive me for being timid and not bold. Forgive me for not loving my neighbor across the street and give me the courage to go and to talk to them. And when I'm doing this, give me clarity because you've heard me talk. Um, help me as I go and, and try to speak. Give me courage. Give me words. Help me to do and, and to care about what, what you care about. So we, we wrestle with guilt. We wrestle with fear. We, we wrestle with what evangelism is even supposed to look like, right? Like we, we, we've heard all these methods and, and ways that we're supposed to spread the gospel, these questions we are supposed to use. And let me encourage you, when you think about sharing your faith, just put all that on the back burner, um, don't sit there in the conversation trying to figure out, well, how am I going to get to the place where I can pop the question on them? Let me encourage you to just to pray um, that God would help you to love people. That God would help you to love people. To, to love your neighbor. God, help me to love my neighbor. Help me to know what that looks like. Help me to love my next door neighbor even. Uh, help me to want to serve my neighbor and not isolate myself from my neighbor. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield again. Invest in your neighbors for the long haul. The hundreds of conversations that make up a neighborhood and stop thinking of conversations with neighbors as sneaky evangelistic raids into their sinful lives. <laughs> this is a great line. And then she says, maybe our own lives are actually more sinful. Is it not more sinful to openly sin while claiming Christ's lordship than to sin while claiming false rights to self-autonomy? You think about that one. Um, so we, we've got these, these barriers with, uh, within us of, of guilt and fear and not knowing what it looks like and how to do it. Uh, and, and then we've got the, the barrier of, of overcommitment. And I don't want to say too much about this one because when I talk about this, I feel like you really do have to wrestle through this individually and as a family because it looks, overcommitment looks different for all of us because we have different callings 
different careers. We're at different stages in life. Some stages in life are busier than others. So you kind of got to filter what I'm about to say and, and really think through what I'm about to say. But if, but if you're chronically busy and, and there are no margins at all in your life for rest, and there are no margins in your life for, for actually trying to get to know a neighbor, then, then I would encourage you to ask yourself, what is it that I'm really trying to accomplish in my life and in the life of my children that's, that's, that leaves me with no room for margin and no room for knowing other people? What am I trying to accomplish with all of these activities that we are involving ourselves in? How do they fit in the man's chief end, which is to glorify God and enjoy him forever? How do they fit into the Great Commission? Maybe they are vehicles to help me carry out the Great Commission. Maybe they're actually getting the way of me knowing how to love my neighbor. I, I don't know. you gotta, you got to think through that. Um, maybe you're involved in too many church activities, too many Christian activities, and we, and we try to, to guard against that here, but... Maybe Wednesday night, and you know, instead of going to the youth group or whatever, your your family has unbelieving neighbors over. Oh, but I'm supposed to be at youth group. No, no, you love your neighbor. Well, youth group will still be here next week. Um, but maybe instead of the men's morning breakfast, you take somebody from work to breakfast that morning and just get to know them. Um, ask God to help you think through that. I'm not trying to give you a formula. I'm just like giving you some ideas. Like, what does it look like for me to, to live on a mission? Why is it that I have a list of 40 things that I've got to get done, um, but trying to get to know and love the people around me isn't on that list? Like, you know, what, 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 what gets on my list is what gets done. And so why is it that, like, and I'm talking to myself as much as anybody, like, I just kind of think that's going to happen but I don't make it a priority because I, I haven't put it on my list. So there's all these barriers, right? There's all these barriers within me that I've got to pray through. The second reason we have to pray is not only are there barriers in me, there are barriers outside of me that are hindrances to the gospel. Uh, one of them is just kind of our cultural view that, like, whatever religion you have is okay. And, and they're all the same, and all roads lead to God, and... You know, don't, don't try to convert me to your way of thinking. And we're, we're sitting here going, well, we actually think Jesus is the only way. And so that, like, that dynamic is, itself is a barrier. And so we have to, we have to pray about that. Um, a, a second barrier, and you might say this is an internal barrier, but whatever. It's, it's the way people have, outsiders have observed Christian behavior that is unethical on the parts of pastors, on the parts of all of us. And so just the fact that that happens, that what they see as hypocrisy, which often is hypocrisy, that is a barrier to the gospel. A third barrier is, you know, people just aren't familiar with the basic story of the Bible anymore. And, and I'm not trying to, I'm not condemning people by saying this, I'm just saying that's a thing. And so there's not a shared Christian vocabulary that we used to have. And so that's a, a barrier. Uh, another barrier is, is kind of the culture war that's always going on. You know, Fox News versus MSNBC, Red State versus Blue State. Um, let me ask you, if, if you were to go and, and interview your homosexual neighbor, what would their perception of you be? Or if, if, 
uh, or what would their perception of Christians in general be? Would they see you as, as angry, as self-righteous, as someone would be happier if, if they just weren't around? Are they, or do they see you as someone who may disagree with their lifestyle, but who loves them and who demonstrates a willingness to love and to serve them and to care for them sacrificially? What would they see? What would they see? Would they see someone who loves them? Or, or, or would they see someone who's an, an enemy in the culture war? I had a, a friend in the, the D.C. area who was talking about how kind of the disdain with which evangelical Christians are viewed, that, that we're seen as just being hateful, and was asking me, like, how do you, how do you overcome that? And, you know, the, the, my point is not whether that's justified or not justified, but that's a real perception and so that's a barrier i was reading an article in the uh i saw from the new yorker this week about chick-fil-a and you know chick-fil-a is in i don't know if y'all remember this now but when chick-fil-a first went to new york city like the mayor was talking about banning them from coming because they're you know so pro-christian obviously but they're there and they're they've got like they're selling chicken like nobody's business and they all love the chicken um Imagine, but, but the article the guy wrote, he said this, and yet the brand's arrival here feels like an infiltration in no small part because of its pervasive Christian traditionalism. And it, it wasn't something that he like thought was a good thing, but they're like sneaking in here, all right? And again, I'm not criticizing him for that. I'm just saying that's a cultural reality, and that's a barrier we face when we try to talk about the gospel. Um, so, so what do we do with all those barriers? We can be we can be mad about those, or we can just say, you know, that's that's reality. I need to pray. I need to pray. Uh, I need to pray that God would actually open a door for His Word. Have you ever been locked out of a house waiting for somebody to bring a key? Like that's somewhat the situation. We we are we are. Praying that God would, would unlock that door, that he would open a door for the word. Would you pray that for each other on a regular basis? Would you consider doing that? Um, would you pray, God, would you open a door for, for Todd Flippin for the word? Would you open the door for Denise Huff for the word? Like, could we actually pray for one another by name? God, would you open a door for Michael Wilcox at work in the neighborhood would you open doors for him for the word of God? Would, would, would you give us wisdom as we try to navigate all these barriers and help us not to be self-righteous and, and angry, but would you show us how to love people that we may disagree with about a lot of things? Uh, would you help us to, to clearly communicate the, the story of the, of the Bible? Would you help us to live like Christians are supposed to, to live? And so there, there are these, there's barriers in me. There's barriers out there. And then I want to talk about third place. There are barriers. There, there are barriers. We'll just say these are supernatural barriers. Because Satan himself puts up barriers. Let me, let me read Ephesians 6.12 to you. Well, I'll start in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Um, 2 Corinthians 4.4 says that the God of this world, that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. And so we have to actually pray for the defeat of Satan and his influence. Like when we pray, we're participating in an unseen spiritual reality and spiritual battle. There's a, there's a passage I, I encourage you to read sometime in Daniel 10. Uh, in, in Daniel 10, Daniel is praying, and after three weeks, this angelic messenger shows up in answer to his prayer, and he says, basically, I would have been here sooner, but an evil angel was hindering me, and then the angel Michael showed up and defeated the hindrance, and, and, and now I'm here. And then he says... Your words have been heard. I have come because of your words. Listen to what one pastor said about this. He said it was Daniel's unembarrassed persistence that won through and added a factor in the unseen spiritual struggle. In an extraordinary way, the prayers of a man determined the victory in a spiritual conflict. If Daniel had given up after two weeks, the blessings would not have come. You know, imagine if, if during World War II, if the United States had, had never decided to enter the war, or if we decided to enter the war and the people back at home had never realized how important their contributions to the war effort actually were. And, you know, I think one of the biggest barriers isn't just Satan here, but it, we don't believe we're in a war. Like, we, I think Satan anesthetizes us through our comforts, which I certainly enjoy but we're so comfortable that we have a hard time believing there really is a spiritual battle going on. I mean, we wrestle against beings and principalities and all that stuff that, that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. And, yeah, that's this spiritual battle, but the Celtics are on tonight, and it's not going to matter that much if I pray anyway. Right? And so, like, I, we have a hard time, like, thinking this really, my prayers really make that much of a difference. Paul's saying you, you got to pray because the battle is real and your prayers really do matter. Well, let me give you a, a, a couple more reasons we have to pray quickly. Uh, not pray quickly, but I'll quickly give you those reasons. Um, the, the fourth reason we have to pray is that, that conversion is God's work. Conversion is God's work. You, you can't give life to dead men. Like, you, we can't do that. But God can do that. You can plant, you can water, but God gives the growth. And so we have to pray that God will give the growth. And then finally, we have to pray in order that God would receive the glory and not us. I just want to read what, what, what John Piper said about this. He said, how is God glorified by prayer? Prayer is the open admission that without Christ we can do nothing. And prayer is the turning away from ourselves to God in the confidence that he will provide the help we need. Prayer humbles us as needy and exalts God as all-sufficient. This is why the missionary enterprise advances through prayer. The chief end of God is to glorify God. He will do this in the sovereign triumph of his missionary purpose that the nations worship him. 
He will secure this triumph by entering into the warfare and becoming the main combatant. And he will make that engagement plain to all the participants through prayer. Because prayer shows that the power is from the Lord. Now, y'all, if, if, if as a church we are actually going to accomplish what we say we want to accomplish, if we're going to reach anybody for Jesus, if we're, if we're going to have any adult baptisms up here, we have to pray. We have to pray. Because there are barriers inside of us. There are barriers outside of us. There are satanic barriers to this process. And we have to pray because conversion is God's work. And we have to pray so that God will get the glory for this and not us. So pray that the Lord of the harvest would use sinful, idolatrous people like you and me who are addicted to our comforts. And he would help us to get uncomfortable. And he would work through us to bring people to know him for his glory. Uh, Charles Spurgeon wrote... God will bless Elijah and send rain on Israel, but Elijah must pray for it. If the chosen nation is to prosper, Samuel must plead for it. If the Jews are to be delivered, Daniel must intercede. God will bless Paul and the nations will be converted through him, but Paul must pray. Pray that he did without ceasing. His epistles show that he expected nothing except by asking for it. I'll close with this. In the late 1940s on the Isle of Lewis, uh, which is off the coast of Scotland, there were two elderly ladies, and one of them was, was doubled over from arthritis. And they became burdened for the state of the citizens of that island. And so they began to pray three times a day for like three or four years that God would bring revival to that island. And he did. Large numbers of people were amazingly converted, and it's said to this day you can go there and see the difference that that revival made on that island. Will you pray? Will you you pray for the work of the gospel? Will you come together with other people at Grace and pray? One of the the things we've been talking about or starting to talk about are these prayer triads uh, where ideally three people get together and pray together on a regular basis. Now, you can do four, you can do five, but at some point you get to be so many that it defeats the purpose. So let's, my encouragement is to keep them as small as possible because what we want to see happen in these is I think it's a venue for community, for you really to get to know each other. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a way for outreach uh, as well, for us to, to pray for the lost, and it's a place where we can actually confess our sins to one another. And the bigger that group gets, the less you're going to confess. I'll just be honest. All right? So, so, so consider those things. Um, but think about that. Here, here are some people that I feel like I could get together with on a regular basis and pray. And, and pray that the, that the gospel would go out through me, through us, uh, in Spartanburg. Let me pray for us. Father, it's, um, it, it, it's sobering to, to, to think about how many barriers there are to the gospel. And it's um, especially so when we think about the number of those that are within us, our own unwillingness, our own addiction to comfort. 
Uh, it's, it's scary when we think about the barriers that are outside of us and we think, how in the world is anybody going to ever believe this, even if I get up the courage to talk to them? Uh, but, Father, you're greater than all that. And, Jesus, you promised to send us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, you promised to, to be with us. And, and so we pray, trying God, that, that you really would work within us removing barriers, that you, you really would grant us courage, that you really would open doors uh, to the word, that you really would bind Satan, and that you would be at work, Lord, opening hearts uh, that, that people might see their sin that separates them from you, but that they would always also see the glory of the gospel and the cross that can bring them near to you. We ask in Jesus' name.